0: Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's way lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business.
1: Hey, Katie, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: So Katie, we met. Boy, because you've been working with us in the FabCap Accelerator for what, three, four years?
1: Yeah, it's been a while now.
0: Isn't that crazy? Um, yeah. So you came, um, you came, and you started. Um, you sort of created a whole path for us because you were so organized about what you did. Oh. So, <laughs> so they were like, "Huh? Maybe we should be doing this across the board." It was awesome. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So why don't we start by having you introduce yourself to the audience?
1: yeah great i am a brand strategist so i work with food and beverage companies to help them think through all of the details of things that are often floating in their heads but really bringing it together and synthesizing um things like the competitors and who your consumer is and uh, what your company does differently than than others out there and so um we go through processes that i took from my big corporate days, so I started my career at Kraft Foods in a big health insurance company and American Girl, and um, really took those big business principles and have streamlined them down over the years to right-size them for smaller, more entrepreneurial startups and uh, emerging brands that are working to scale up, too. So there's certain ways that we approach things that are different than the big brands, but there are still some concepts that are really um, you know, really useful. And that's some of what you saw originally in that organized process. <laughs> right, um, right. and, and I really like going through that process because it all builds on each other. And I'm sure we'll talk much more about that, but that's a little bit about me.
0: That's awesome. So were, were you a brand manager craft?
1: Yes, I did work at Kraft Foods and I was in the brand management function. I worked in the cheese division, so I had the chance to work on brands like Chunk Cheese and Shredded Cheese and Philadelphia Cream Cheese and launched some different new products while I was there as well.
0: Cool. So, you know, I think people are sort of intrigued, like, you know, for young startups, right, you, you, you're thinking about so many things and brand is something people think about, but not you know, it's one of a million things. And I don't, I, I tell people brands for big food companies, actually for any food company, a brand is an incredibly important part of their value proposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and big brands like Kraft spend a lot of
1: time and money on their brands, right? Absolutely. You know, there's whole whole functions (laughs) built around it. So I like to say, you know, the brand manager role in a big food or a big CPG company is sort of that hub and spoke uh, model Mm -hmm. where the brand manager and that team is at the center managing the business in most companies, but then they um, heavily rely on all of the experts in the different cross functional team areas. So, you know, that's not that different than what someone in a smaller scale business maybe working on where you may be that general manager as the founder or owner and then you know you're relying on your cross-functional team or maybe you're wearing most of the hats but still taking that mindset though I think is another lesson that we can learn from bigger brands uh, because all of that working together is really a cumulative effect where one plus one is three or more.
0: <laughs> right, right. I've often said in my one foray outside of food, I was um, I was the head of marketing worldwide for electronic theater controls. And in that oh. case, they were product managers I had working for me. Yes. Um, and they were like that, right? They were kind of the hub and spoke thing too. They had to work with R&D and they had to work with accounting and they had to work with operations and project management and I always said that that role of project manager and in a brand it would be the brand manager would be such a great training ground for owning your own company honestly
1: Yeah I think it is because you need to be aware you you're not the expert in all of those areas you know, you need to know enough to bring it all together, but also rely on the people who are experts and can help bring that to life. But then you're that integration point where, you know, you see the big picture and help others see the big picture, what they're working towards. Uh, so that overall vision and then on a project by project basis also. So, yeah, I agree. I thought, I thought and still think it's a really exciting role in a company.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, Mm -hmm. What kinds of things, so we should talk about brands, right? So so why is it that somebody like Kraft would, would devote so much time and money to their brands?
1: Yeah, you know, a, a big piece of it, I like to talk about if you have a great product or if you're building a strong brand and how you go from one to the other. And the reason why companies invest so much and why I do what I do is to help that transition, because I know you know this too, there's so many people with really great products out there, but if you don't give your, you know, if you don't give the world something to know how to differentiate you, you can really easily become a commodity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with me and cheese at craft, that's a a really good example, because cheese can be seen as a commodity, but, um, you know, you're working to build a brand around that. So the way that I describe it, um, and, you know, a helpful tip along the way here is that when you are thinking about a a great product or having a great product, you are more focused on the operations and the product attributes, typically. This isn't always the case. And that doesn't mean that you don't have fans of your brand and it doesn't mean that you're not doing a great job. It's just that you're a little bit more focused inward on what you're doing. And when you are looking to build a strong brand, you start to think about, okay, well, what do my consumers need? And what do those features that my product has that i'm thinking so much about and that i've worked so hard to create what is the benefit of that to the consumer so it's kind of taking it from looking internally at the features and um, then going externally and saying what do people need and what are the benefits of what i'm offering and that's one of the first steps that you can start to think a little bit broader about how to build a strong brand
0: my language for this is, I think that a really good brand um, develops is a really efficient way to establish an emotional connection mm-hmm. to a consumer, right? And that, Absolutely. and that, that is such a weird sentence, right? <laughs> like <laughs> to people, right? We make food. What M- emotional connection? What? Like, why do we need that?
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, I I think you're exactly right, and the reason why it's so important is because when there are, you know, just think of yourself at the grocery store, um, almost in any category, you know, it's funny to think about, well, what's the most competitive category? And you could almost say any one, even though some are more than others. But people can literally take a step to the left or the right and find multiple options beyond what you offer. So if you don't give them something to remember, and a reason to choose your your brand, you know, you kind of, fall into the sea of sameness at the shelf. And so mm-hmm. we want to, it is hard to think about, okay, well, how do I create an emotional connection about, you know, peanut butter or right. crackers or, you know, something. Uh, but that, that's where that story comes in. And you really think about, okay, what am I doing that's different than others in the marketplace? The The way that I like to think about it is um, a Venn diagram. So I mentioned these three C's earlier, but I didn't call them out exactly. So if, If it's a Venn diagram with three overlapping circles and one has competitors and one has consumers and one has company, what we want to do is put the star where your company overlaps with your consumers and we're recognizing what the competitors are doing, but we're really leaving them out of the conversation and we're focused on your consumers' needs and what you can do to uh, meet those needs that your competitors either can't or won't. So that is a starting point to say, okay, I really understand what people want and need. And that's not an easy process, but you can make hypothesis and develop it over time. Um, and then that's the starting point to thinking about how you can make that emotional connection when you can stop talking just about your product features and say, okay, I understand these four key insights about my consumers. Now, how do the how do the things I've been talking about in terms of product features really turn into benefits. And, um, that's where you can start to make a little bit more of emotional connection because people think, wow, were you reading my text messages or, you know, how do you know me so well that, that you would know that that's a problem for me? Mm -hmm. Isn't
0: that, yeah, it's kind of, kind of crazy, right? When I, after I, I sold Tara's way, um, I, I, the, the new owners this was a couple years ago i saw that back before COVID, we had trade shows i went up to the booth Mm -hmm. and i and i had the weird experience of walking up to a booth and having nobody in the booth know who i was Oh, interesting so i went up and i'm like you know and they look at my card and i said no i'm tara and they look at me and the kind of and i'm like no i am tara right it was the funniest thing right um but the, what was cool was the, the, um, person who was kind of heading up the brand, um, at the, at the time was said, um, uh, you didn't just create, um, uh, a consumer base. You created, um, you, what did, what was the word that he used? It wasn't like fans. It was like, Mm, oh, he said you created a
1: cult. Oh yeah. That's, that, that's the goal. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, did he no, give you any more information about that? Did he say anything else?
0: Well, he just said that, you know, that the it doesn't matter. It's like it doesn't matter what anybody does <laughs> with this, as long as you don't meck around with the product and you don't Got change it. anything. They, yeah. they just are so loyal to this brand. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, Which well, and that's an because you did – yeah you and you know this could be a whole episode, but you did so much work. I know when you were on my podcast you shared you know some of the the work that you did to yeah. get to that point like that wasn't an accident right
0: right right no, it was not an accident and um you know we and it and that but that's sort of the ultimate emotional connection right mm-hmm. where where people are so loyal to the brand that they don't you know there's all there's a new protein you know, powder out all the time. Right. And, um, so to, to break through all of that has been really, really hard for brands. So yeah, it's, it's an, it's a whole process, right. To, to do that. So when you work with a younger brand, you start, where do you start?
1: Yeah. You know, it really is those, um, well, I was going to say it's the three C's, but we, we Mm -hmm. also, we take a step back first and say okay let's look at those vision and values um because let you know i i say like you know the know your know thyself first what are what's inside in terms of what you're looking to build. And let's start there. Um, and sometimes those things change as we look externally and we build on those ideas, but it's always good to start to say, okay, what is your vision and what are your values? Um, and then from there, we do look at the competition and some people say, you know, I really just want to focus on what I'm doing and I, I don't, I want to have blinders on. I don't want to, you know, worry about copying the competition. And um, on that one, I explained that it's not about copying or, Uh, trying to be like everybody else, because in fact, that's exactly why we're doing this work is to set your brand apart. Um, But it's really about, there's two things. One is that retail buyers would want to know that you know your category. And so having at least a basic understanding of who's out there is important. And then the second piece is because as we go through the process, if you don't know what others are saying, you don't know if you're differentiated or not. And so the idea is to uh, the exercise that I take people through is is basically looking to see what the key messages are for top competitors. Um, they could be big competitors. They could be small competitors. But, you know, who else do you think people might be buying or if they were in your market would be buying? So that you can just kind of get a sense of what is out there um, and what consumers might be seeing when they're looking for you. And that way it gives you a foundation where you can say, oh, everybody is saying X. You know, I thought X was my point of difference, but everybody's saying that. And that happens more often than you would think, that um, people say, oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was unique. Um, because they've they've had a sense of what's going on in the market, but until you actually write it down, um, you, you start to see those themes arise. And then you can also start to see those gaps where nobody's saying something. And then I kind of joke, you have to think about, is nobody saying it because it's a terrible idea, or is nobody saying mm-hmm. it because... They aren't you and they don't have your expertise and your experience and your, um, you know, your capabilities. And that really is the white space that you've discovered by going through that exercise. Um, So that's the competitors. And then there's the consumers and, you know, finding out the insights about what they need, like we talked a little bit about already. Um, Really trying to look at that consumer profile, recognizing that other people might be um, buyers of your brand, but not that core, core consumer um, that would be the first person to buy and the first person who'd be excited to uh, tell everybody else about your brand, those are the people that we want to identify um, and then you know make a note of other other types of people as well. but and I'm happy to get into all of these um, further. But then that third C that we get into is your your company then. So based on what you see in the competitive market, based on what you see with your consumers and their needs, and then your vision and values, how do we, take all of this and synthesize it and put it through these frameworks to say, how do we set your brand apart? What are the pillars and the foundational things that are all, you know, that's all you as a brand. Um, and then we, so we, we talk about pillars, we talk about personality, we talk about positioning, um, and then carry that through to a brand story and, um, you know, really how to bring that to life then, because, um, because it's it's so much more, as you would know, too, like setting the strategy is one piece of it, but then making sure that your team is aligned as you activate is a whole, a whole other piece. Otherwise, you're just, you know, you've got a good strategy that'll sit on the shelf, but that's definitely not what we're trying to do.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that strategy piece, I think, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many people I, you know, work with who, who will say something like, you know, we we need a label designed, mm-hmm. and I kind of, you know, I talked to my kid who has, you know, is in high school and understands that, that technology stuff better than I did, and they just, we just told them some stuff, and they came up with a, a logo, right? And I'm like, oh, no, you know, that's what I'm thinking it's, in my head, right, because oh, that whole process that you just talked about is not obviously not something that happened and and if you don't I mean if you don't go through that process, you how do you know whether this is the right logo or not? You have no idea. Exactly.
1: Yeah, it might look nice. I yeah. mean and that's a that's a start is that, you know, it's visually attractive, but to have that depth behind it mm-hmm. and that's why designers, you know, there's so many different ways that you can use the brand strategy. I always say, you know, the it, the front and back end of your business should align, but just using that example Um, the visual brand really is so important. And so even if you aren't able to, um, you know, have the fanciest design firm do your logo and labels, having this information to uh, be able to tell your designer um, so that they know what sandbox they're playing in, you know, you don't want to tell them to use the blue shovel and the red, bucket but if you can tell them you know there's a sandbox that's this big you've got these tools and then they can really be a lot more creative uh, or even you know what if it if it is your son or your nephew or whoever they still even would need to know well what are we what are we trying to achieve here who are we talking to what are those what are those insights that get people excited about this versus the brand next yeah. door yeah so and I totally the,
0: agree I, I think the other thing for brands is um Um, uh, like, like, so in my example, in Tara's way, I knew that my target consumer was not in the upper Midwest where the land of Mm. all you can eat up here. (laughs) And (laughs) (laughs) that's not whey protein shakes, right? And something Mm -hmm. like, like 40% of the market for whey is in California. So Mm. it was really important to me to have a make sure that my brand spoke to people who were in California, right? Yes. And and that goes all the way down to aesthetics of a of a logo, right? Which is something that I think people don't realize, right? That they and, and these things shift and change over time. So Right. Yeah.
1: So because oh, I of that I,
0: I worked with a designer who was based in San
1: Francisco. Okay, and so then they they were really immersed in the local market. It sounds like,
0: yeah, no, and just the you know the aesthetics of things, right? And if you look at a, if oh, Terra's Way can now, um, lots of other brands have copied Terra's Way in the category since then because mm-hmm. we became the number one brand in the category um, in I think it was twenty seventeen. So then yeah. there's nothing like that to have everybody copy you, right? Right. Right. Um, it's but, so cool, though. I mean,
1: the, the becoming number one. That's yeah, such that an accomplishment.
0: Um, and there are over two hundred brands, right? It's not a. It's not like they're only five. Um, yeah. But the can at the time we did this white can, right? And and um, a picture of of vanilla beans or the inside of a cocoa bean. That mm-hmm. I mean, and and there was nothing. Remotely like that in the category. And it was very sophisticated, clean design, right? Mm -hmm. And that came out of the design culture in the West Coast at the time, Mm -hmm. right? Part of it was that. But that was my target consumer, too, right? Right. And that's why your exercise of engaging with the consumer is so important.
1: Yeah, you know it really it really is, and it's interesting um, the thought between when you dig into the consumers a little bit, thinking about demographics versus psychographics, because Mm -hmm. we used to really focus a lot on demographics, and more and more as attitudes and behaviors um, span different generations, Mm -hmm. we, you know, I tend to think um, or you know follow the school of thought that demographics are not always as important. However, sometimes they are, like if it's a mom, um, a mom brand or, you know, where the, it's a female head of household with kids in the household or you, that kind of thing. Or to your point in, if you know that most of your consumers are, or your core consumer would be on the West coast, those kind of things do matter. And I think it's really important to call that out when they do. And then also look at the psychographics beyond that. But, uh, yeah, sometimes the demographics like that really do matter.
0: Yeah. Yeah, or or location or whatever it is. So, so I um, at one time in my career, I got I was in the McDonald's R and D facility in Illinois. Which, oh,
1: interesting.
0: Yeah, right. Which is like they don't let anybody in there, and it, the reason was that I was on the board at the time of a company that um, designed, manufactured, and installed interiors in restaurants for McDonald's. Okay. And we had a more meeting down there. We did a tour, and they had, um, they they were trialing a whole bunch of new products right all the time at, at a place like McDonald's, which I found interesting because not a lot of them actually show up in a McDonald's. You know, <laughs> like haven't they right. had the same menu forever? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, But but anyway, they they had a very elaborate process and a building for doing this that they didn't let anybody into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm not surprised that, you know, being so top secret, um, because even if, you know, one in 10 of their or, you know, whatever the number is of those ideas hits, they certainly don't want the competitors to get a. A sniff of it.
0: (laughs) Right, right, exactly, especially ahead of time. So, so yeah, okay, so we're, um, so you talked about brand pillars. What's a brand pillar?
1: Yeah, so the brand pillars, after you've gone through, Um, You know, the work, like I said, to understand where you want to go and the competitors and the consumers and you think about your points of difference. The brand pillars are one of those first pieces. Most of this work is internal. And then the brand pillars are one of the pieces that is starting to be a bridge to external. So it's still not something that you would necessarily go and say, but it's like the three foundational pieces um, I like to choose three because it really makes you focus. But you know, what are the three core things about your brand that would help you stand out? And so it's um the, each pillar isn't always completely unique, but the combination of the three are unique. And so, Sometimes people know offhand what they might think that these would be, you know, they could just rattle off what they think the three most important things about their brand are. Um, But most of the time it takes going through the exercise to really know what these three things about your brand would be. So it's sort of like a little bit of a, a fill in the blank once, or, you know, sort of a black hole, like I, you might not get your head around it and right away. But once you go through the process, you understand, okay, these are the things that would really make my brand stand out. Um, and, and it helps set that, you know, so if your whole brand strategy is your North Star, this is sort of the light that shines on the path to say, okay, we're on the right path. If we're, if we're building things around these three pillars, we know that we are sticking to what we said we wanted to do in terms of our overall vision. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can be a really nice way to put words to things that people don't always have words to, uh, to help guide them and, and stay focused.
0: Yeah, you know, I we work with a lot of um, well farms and mm-hmm. and food brands that um, and Terra's way was like this too, right? That there's a sustainability component to what we care about, and and there yes. is a flavor thing and what the natural ingredients are, and we've got sustainable compostable packaging, and we're in a we're in a um, green manufacturing facility and. It it starts getting yeah. to be too much, right? Like you can't yeah. talk about all that.
1: Yeah. So that's a. I'm glad you said that. That's actually a really good example, though. That often there's so many things flying around in people's heads, because entrepreneurs are full of ideas, and that's mm-hmm. a that's a blessing and a curse, right? Like, you. It's great to have so many ideas, but this helps, um, helps sort of bucket them, mm-hmm. and so then you say, okay, here's the overall bucket that those things ladder up to, and I'll put. All of the list of things somewhere else, but in my pillars, I say, okay, well, what are all of those things in terms of sustainability? Um, You know, is there is there a way to say that that um, you know rather than just saying sustainability matters to us because that's not extremely differentiating? But um, I don't want to get too detailed about exactly what you should say instead. But the idea is, how do we bucket those together? to make a pillar about sustainability because that is a core of what you do at Terra's Way, for example. So yeah, you're exactly right. It really helps um, kind of bring these ideas together and organize them in your head so that you can then be more clear and cohesive out in the market.
0: Totally. Right. Cause I I'm like, what do I talk about? There's so many things we did <laughs> yeah. like, and I'm not the only one, right. We deal with people all the time. Oh, me
1: too. Yeah. yeah,
0: no. And that's, that's why you're so helpful to them oh. because sorting through and prioritizing that is really, is really hard for people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, it is hard. It's none of this is really easy. You know, it's one of those things that you could say it's simple, but not easy. Like there's a mm-hmm. process that you go through, but it takes some, some thought. And that's part of where the magic happens though. In you know, those growing pains and the, the working through the hard stuff and actually putting words down on paper because you've got all these ideas in your head and it's, it's kind of therapeutic to get them all out and, to your, you know, to your point, to prioritize them. And so what I like to have people do and anyone who's listening that wants to, you know, go through this process, I've got a couple of episodes on my podcast that are free that um, outline some of the, the parts of the framework that um, you can go through. And one thing that you can do when you're talking about these pillars is to write down all the things like you said. So if you've got a sustainability pillar, write down all those different things in your head that would go, um, you know, that would support that so that. When you are writing a social media post or a copy, or, um, you know any kind of copy on your website or um, doing a grant request or anything at all, you can go back and look at this parking lot or arsenal of messages to say, okay, here's my three main things, but here's some of those support points that you can draw from, so you're not recreating the wheel every time. And that's been really helpful for brands that I work with.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Do you do you help people understand who their target consumer is? Because I have another scenario that happens where people people are convinced. I swear to God, everybody comes to me and says millennials are my target consumer and then they're selling on Amazon or they're selling somewhere else and they start getting data back and it turns mm-hmm. out it's somebody over 50, right? And yeah. so like everything they assumed wasn't right. <laughs>
1: so, yeah, well, and that that's, that does happen often. And so two things there. Once, yes, I can, or the first one is yes, I, I can help with that. Um, a lot of people at the size that I work with are, to, to what you just said that point, making assumptions. And we make hypotheses and we look for secondary data that's available through either free or low-cost reports you know, all the way up to if somebody wants to work with a a data firm or a market research and you know I can help synthesize that with them um, to figure out how that would inform the brand strategy so there's quite a range there Um, but the second point on what you said is that that's where that dual audience can come in where you know you might think that they're two really separate audiences then But I would also, you know, it's not always easy to get data about these people, uh, especially depending on how you're selling on Amazon. But the idea is if you think that they might be very different just because of age, but then if you look at the overlap between them, what is it that they're, you know, that they are, that they have in common is what I'm trying to say. You know, maybe those psychographics and the beliefs and behaviors, like if they're really wellness focused or they are... Um, weightlifters or they are, you know, kids in school or whatever that is that these people, they might be different ages buying, but that's where the demographics can be a little tricky sometime if that's the only thing you're looking at, because you might not actually need multiple messages or rebranding. It's just a matter of um, focusing on those beliefs and behaviors that then span a broader age range than you originally thought. Or it could be a totally different customer, but... <laughs> Right, right.
0: No, I think that's a it's such an interesting thing, right? Because it's more actually the common attitudes that you're right. trying to zone in on, right?
1: Right. If somebody is 24 versus 54, you know, obviously they're at a very different point in their life and the copy that you use might be different, but if you can identify in general those similarities and speak to all of them, and then you know maybe you've got different posts or ads or something that is specific to um, you know different lifestyle things where it doesn't necessarily alienate the other, but it attracts one of them. You know that's that's a way that you can um, you can deal with a broader age range. Now sometimes sometimes you need to dial it in a little bit, but um, you know it's worth at least looking at to look for those common denominators.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. No. I I find. I mean, do you think in just because of social media and all the the platforms, like we have this ability now to target our audiences so narrowly. Mm -hmm. One of the, I mean, that's great, but it also feels like a real challenge for branding, right? Like how much do you speak to this really narrow audience versus a broader one?
1: Yeah. You know, that is really interesting. And I guess I, that's, it's an interesting point where you can tweak your message. So at the core, your brand still is what it is, but you could tweak a message that something, you know, the visuals and maybe the copy still within your brand voice, but it maybe that appeals a little bit more to a scenario that would appeal to one end of the age range. And then you could have a separate ad that uh, appeals maybe to the other end of the age range and, you know, test and learn that way too. So even though it can be a challenge, I also think that, you know, if, if you've got that capability on your team or you are willing and able to, um, you know, hire someone even in the short term to do it or, you know, to help you with that, it can it can help you learn. I will say, though, I, I think there's a lot of complexity personally behind um, social media advertising. And so when you do it yourself, I don't know, and I'm not saying this because I don't, I don't offer that service, so I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. just trying to say that, but I think that there's so many nuances and layers to it now that it's it's hard to do yourself and get data that you would be making decisions on that always makes me a, a little bit nervous uh for people but yeah i mean you can you can dial in so specifically um but you wouldn't want to say those are the only people that would buy your products just because that's what that you know one or two ads said was the best reacting audience
0: right right yeah no and it gets down to the time of the day that, you know, maybe they ran this at a certain time of day and that tends to skew toward an older group or something, you know?
1: Totally. Yeah. That, I think that's exactly right. That's why there's so many layers to it that, um, that I, I like if possible that somebody would have, you know, or, or even taking an online course. There's so many, as we both know, there's so many online courses now where you can learn things and learn the skills. Um, but just you know in order to make sure that you're spending good money on it to really learn and and get the results you're looking for I think it's it's good to learn the ins and outs of it a little bit
0: oh absolutely yeah and this is another realm of well I put my kid on it
1: yeah <laughs> that is so true
0: <laughs> <laughs> right they spend all their time on social media anyway we'll just get they them must doing be this good at,
1: yeah they hmm? must be good at ads too <laughs> <laughs> I know
0: all right. all right. So we, we talked about pillars. Um, there were a couple other dimensions that you wanted to talk about kind of at that layer of your process. You use the word brand voice. What do oh, you sure. mean by that?
1: Yeah. So when we talk about the brand voice and the brand personality, that is, um, it is a layer of the work that is really important because Your brand um, needs to connect to people. So back to that emotional connection that we started with, um, it helps with an emotional connection and it helps with consistency. So I'll talk a little bit more about that. But first, I'll just give an example of the the brand voice and, and what that looks like. So I like to say if it was a person at a cocktail party or whatever kind of party you want to be at, how would you introduce your brand? So choosing like four to six adjectives that you would describe them as if they were a person to give them that, you know, that personification. So you can see, you know, if the brand was bubbly and outgoing versus sophisticated and edgy, or are they quirky or are they irreverent? So when you're choosing these adjectives you are really setting the tone for anything from internal communications to external communications in written form or visuals. So the nice thing is that once you have this set, you can be consistent. And I just one note on the consistent piece is that there's some people who that if you say consistent that means boring and it doesn't at all need to be boring it's more about cohesiveness and that when you see a brand that you recognize okay that's that's the same that I saw last time they might be saying something different this time but I can recognize the visuals and I recognize that that's you know they're not calm and serene one time and then the next time they look like you know fireworks and a parties on their on their stuff um and the important thing there is So that people know what to expect, and again, it doesn't have to be boring at all. You can, you can have some latitude in there, but the idea is that as you build trust and um, and really that deeper connection, that they know consistently what they can expect from you. So that's why that's a nice exercise to go through as part of this. You know, it might even be something that if somebody has done nothing else, at least having a consistent brand voice and personality would help you get started in terms of showing up consistently in the market?
0: You know, the
1: company and
0: food that I think is just so locked down on that is Zingerman's. Mm. You know, their brand, they're like, they have this, well, do you know, Zingerman's is that for the benefit of other people. So Zingerman's is, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and they started as a deli right by campus, right? And they've evolved to have like 20 different Zingerman's companies. They're all under the Zingerman's brand. You can't even write on the chalkboard for like menus or whatever in any of their their restaurants until you take the font class because they have this special bright colored funky font that they use. And this cartoony kind of persona to their brand, right? And it is, it is locked down. If you're a Zingerman's company, you use that font, you use that brand, mm-hmm. and it's the same voice, right, across all these businesses. They have a training business now. They have a cheese company. They've got all, so a catalog
1: company, right? And it's all
0: the same. It's amazing what they do.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you know what, that's a good example of it gives people, you know, whether you are an employee internally or a customer externally, you know what to expect. And so, um, you know, we've talked about brand strategy a lot from the external part of it. But to your point too, internally with employees, um, you know, they know what the expectations are. And and the, the chalk on the chalkboard is just one, you know, really tactical example but that kind of thing you can see how that would carry through um to help people make decisions um, once they really know what that brand strategy looks like internally too sure and they
0: a pillar of their brand is customer service mm-hmm. like their their customer service is drop dead amazing doesn't matter what entity you're in right and um so that would be an example, right? That that brand kind of personifies that, and everybody is is part of it, right? Part of executing that brand. Power. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know that that brings up an interesting point that sometimes there's an umbrella brand, and sometimes there's sub brands within that, and how do they fit together? And that's it is a you know a, it can be a sort of a tricky thing if they need to be exactly the same, or where do they have some latitude to be their own brand within the sub brand? Um, but yeah, I, I'm I like that you. Brought up that example that customer service, you know, no matter what what you are within this umbrella brand, it is going to be high customer service, and I think that that kind of example is really important, um, you know, to as you as you think about the different layers of branding, mm-hmm. that you know, it's got to be aligned so that, and the customer level in that example, they know that no matter which arm of the company they order from, um, or shop at that it's going to be, you know, exceptional customer service. That's a good example.
0: Yeah, no, the Zingerman's is just such an amazing food company. Um, I mean, it's down to the point where if you order something from the Zingerman's catalog and you get a box that has that cartoony stuff is printed mm. on the boxes
1: so yes. you open
0: the box and you see that, like, you're just like, holy
1: cow. See, I love that attention to detail. And um, I recently did a post about that because I, I think that, you know, the, that idea of bringing your brand to life and everything that you do, it can seem overwhelming at first, but I think it's actually a fun challenge to say, okay, let's look at our whole process and how can we tweak it or dial it in to really bring it to life. And so it doesn't have to always be expensive things, but whether it's printed on the box or, you know, sometimes people do branded packing tape now. um, But it is all part of the experience that when you open it up and even the way that, you know, maybe the tissue paper or a little card is what you see first. uh, All those little details can add up to matter when people are are ordering from you for example you know in that case if something arrives at your door making it sort of a moment in the day versus a transactional okay good my package arrived
0: right right exactly and they you know they have that crinkle paper that's sort of accordion mm-hmm. paper is that's the stuffing in it and yeah the whole thing is is whenever they execute anything it's it's exceptional that way and it's so locked down in their brand it's just an amazing company and they're, they're selling the, the company to their employees now, too, and different, oh, okay. yeah, to different, um, um, yeah, it's, it's, in a, it's a great story and a great um, role model for, for just lockdown branding in execution, right? Because it is, yeah. like people you think about in food, we think about our label on our can of whatever it is, right? But, that, but how you're going to communicate your brand is
1: so much bigger than that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's, you know, when I talk about the brand strategy process, I, I say define or refine and then align and activate. And that alignment part is really important, um, you know, for communication and decision making, you know, like I said before, on the front and back end of your business to really help everything be cohesive um, because. You know, back to part of our earlier original part of the conversation. When you're when you're making all of these things work together, your brand will become um, so much more memorable. And then also, when your communication is consistent, it gives people who love your brand, those fans of your brand the words that when they're telling somebody else about your brand that they can you know know what to say and so you know those are just i guess more reasons i get excited about people doing their brand strategy work so that they can not only know what to say internally but then externally and give those consumers the words to tell other people um and then it all just builds on each other right right
0: and now in the time of social media right where where messages are proliferate without the company controlling them necessarily (laughs) right absolutely (laughs) yeah no having this having this really well defined is is so important um yeah so activation now so let's talk about activation and for food companies
1: Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that comes to mind right away is always marketing. And there's different places in your business that you can, you know, so once you've defined it, then you align it and think about all those different, you know, we talked about cross-functional teams. What are all those different places in your business, though, that this could come to life? It's in your sales plan and in your operations and in your new product development, really in all the different, you know, when you're wearing all those hats, you should be thinking about your brand that you set and referring back to your notes or your workbook or whatever you, you know, however you did it. Um, And so then we've got that. And then we start to say, okay, well, which areas are the ones that we should align first uh, or excuse me, activate first. So we've gone through and said, um, you know, maybe if my, maybe my ingredients are a little bit out of alignment of where I want to be with my brand strategy, I need to tweak those. Okay, we'll start there. Um, you can you know, go around and, and look at all the different areas of your business. So marketing is the one, though, that people usually go to first. And so that could be um, a packaging update for alignment. It could be um, you know, oh, that your website isn't saying the right things. Um, maybe that your overall marketing plan, like you just feel like you don't have a marketing plan. So um, the idea is to really to think about, okay, now that I've got this strategy what are my business goals? And if I want to set a marketing plan, I don't want to just skip right to tactics and have my plan be a collection of tactics. I want to think about it from the perspective of an overall marketing plan that pulls everything together. So really always starting back with your business goals is the important piece or the takeaway there in terms of activation so that our brand strategy and our overall business goals are guiding that plan so that it's more effective and more efficient. So. We look at your business goals, we look at um, you know, who is that ideal core consumer that you defined in your brand strategy. And then we start to set strategies and tactics that really ladder back up to those goals, again, versus just saying, well, I could do Facebook ads or I could go sample <laughs> there or, you know, and, and I don't fault anyone for doing that because it just sometimes activity feels like progress. But, um, But taking that step back sometimes to see how it will all fit together and make sure that whatever your hurdles are or your opportunities, that your tactics support that, um, you know, that's, that's where the the plan starts to get really exciting. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, um, I see lots of food companies that we work with, um, really they kind of know they need to be on social media, right. But they really haven't done any sort of thinking about what they're going to do on it.
1: Right. Right. You know, I I think that that's true. And so then there's posting sort of for posting sake, and it can be exhausting. You know, I hear a lot of people say, I'm just so tired of posting when nobody is, responding, right? I don't feel like there's a lot of response. And so, you know, social media is not, you know, there's people who specialize exclusively in that. But the thing I will say there is that um, when you really understand the features of your products and the benefits of your products, it can help inspire posts. So, um, that could potentially get a little bit more engagement when you're thinking about you know talking about what you're doing but then also inviting people into that brand story and asking for engagement so they see that you have the insights about them or that you're talking about the benefits not just what your product can do and and then asking for engagement on the posts and sometimes that is enough to spark Just a little bit more engagement where people can start to feel excited about it again. But I really think it needs to be part of you know back to that overall marketing plan of what's your goal and objective and do you maybe just need to post enough that people know that you're you know you're an (laughs) you're an active company or do you need to be posting you know multiple times a day because you're a direct to consumer company and that's where most of your sales come from. I think there's a lot of feelings of like I should be doing this or this, yeah, but it yeah. goes back to your goals. Yeah, yeah. No,
0: that makes total sense. I, I they're like, oh my god, I should be on social media, and then <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, should you? Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, maybe, but is it for why? Right? Like, why am I doing that? I yeah. I, yeah, no. I've worked. With, we've worked with a, a brand called Breadtopia that is an online, hundred oh. percent online. They do they, their pillar is guiding light is they do all things related to sourdough baking. Okay. Um, but they're by far the, I mean, they've been doing this for years, right? So this is not a young company and they're a bigger company now, but okay. what is interesting to, for me is to see like, how have they, how have they done that? Right. Like mm-hmm. how would, how do you create a really quite substantial online brand? And, and I asked them about how they use social media, right? And they do social media, and they're active on it. They do a lot of Instagram. They find Instagram these days is more effective for them than Facebook, which I thought mm. was kind of interesting. Okay. Um, their best promotion, though, because they've been at this for a while, is their own email.
1: Yes, Yes. So that's back to that integrated plan where, you know, Instagram might be the place that you can stay top of mind on a day-to-day basis or, you know, obviously not everybody sees your posts, but to actually purchase um, staying in front of people with email, um, you know, from what I've heard that it is more effective actually within your email list. And the thing I like about email is that it's the real estate that you own versus social media is more like the real estate that you rent because, you know, the powers that be could change anything at any time. And it's really important for anyone who's, you know, building their social media presence to try to also get people on their email list. Because, yeah, you're, you're right that that's, that's interesting to hear also, not surprising, but that that's been kind of the key for them
0: yeah yeah that and the other thing was that they realized that sourdough you know sourdough took off right during covid right that Mm -hmm. whole deal but (laughs) but it's complicated right and so and they also sell artisanal grains and things so okay right so how am i going to make pizza dough out of teff so they have a chef that does recipes with actually it's a bakery chef right uh um the baker, bread baker, chef person who does okay. recipe development for them, and that's a big part of their um, um, outbound email, right?
1: Oh, is interesting. Sharing those
0: recipes. So, like, how do you work? How do you make pizza dough with Teff, right?
1: See, and I like that because that is part of that usage strategy, then of you know, I may buy it once, but then. Um, if I don't really know how to use it, I might not buy it again. And so showing, you know, whether it's versatility or, um, you know, just different ideas, I guess, of how to actually use it that may hopefully will make, you know, make it be uh, more approachable. And then also part of a routine where it becomes a regular purchase versus or, or people get excited and then show their pictures on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it all kind of feeds into that cycle, doesn't it? <laughs>
0: it does, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And I think people kind of it's weird, you know, when people are gonna sell online, they start, they they immediately think they're gonna sell through their own website, right? That's mm-hmm. what comes to mind first. But you actually have a lot of work to get people to your website, right? To right. even
1: find you. Right. Right, it's not right it's it's that whole process, you know awareness, consideration, trial, purchase mm-hmm. um usage and repurchase, and then people word of mouth that's that consumer or customer journey, and it is there's so many points where it can break down along the way if you're not really intentionally thinking about how you put people on that path and get them you know not only to your website but then through the purchase process. And, you know, to what we were saying earlier, a really great experience when you open the box and and motivation to repurchase. And yeah, it's just the whole thing needs to be thought through. And I know that that can be exhausting for people. But the thing I like to suggest is to think about each of those steps as a little challenge or opportunity to see how much better you can, you know, incrementally make these changes. So it doesn't feel like you're trying to change everything at once, but, um, just be getting better every day towards delivering on that experience that you think would really delight your consumers.
0: Yeah. So when you work on, with a company on this process, um, do you, how, how far do you get into tactical marketing?
1: Yeah. You know, from, we always have ideas along the way and, you know, we usually say, well, well, this is getting tactical, but let's, (laughs) let's put it in a parking lot because these ideas, you know, it's so much fun thinking through this. Um, But then in terms of my work, I look at the. I provide um, depending on how we're working together. I can provide sort of the overall marketing plan template. I don't get into the details of exactly you know this is when it should be on promotion or this is the coupon amount or um, those kind of details. But I can help people think through. Okay, based on my brand strategy and my ideal consumer, um, what what are the right things? You know what what another step of that process is. What are the hurdles? or the beliefs or behaviors that you need to change in order to get people to buy. And it could be awareness, but it's also uh, could be things like perceptions of the category or um, not being used to buying that kind of product online. Or, you know, there could be different things that you're trying to get people over. So in that case, let's just use the example of not used to buying it online and maybe you can't sample it. And so what are the different tactics that we can do to help people Um, you know, say, okay, it's worth the risk that $10 or whatever it is, I'm going to go ahead and try and then think about all the tactics. So, okay, maybe it's testimonials, or maybe we're sending a free sample with something or all these different things you could do to help reduce that risk that they're going to be wasting $10. Um, That's just one piece of the plan. But it's an example of the kind of like sort of that general brainstorming that I can do with people, but not all the way to calendaring it out and saying this is exactly what we're going to do when and what the prices should or what the amounts should right. be and things like that. That but makes so, sense. like an, an overarching integrated plan um, is certain some, you know, something that I can help people with. Oh, that's awesome. Because I feel like they you know,
0: then the tactics is stuff that you have to just work through, right? If you have help developing the plan.
1: Right. I, yeah, I think so, too. And I think that there's a lot of testing and learning that goes into it for better or worse, but that, you know, you can take things not as mistakes, but as, okay, well, that didn't work and what can we learn from it? And, how, you know, how could we tweak it to do it differently next time? Um, is it a message thing? Is it a timing thing? And, you know, just always be optimizing. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right, right. And what do you think about Amazon? <laughs> That's a loaded question.
0: <laughs> it's a loaded yeah. question, but yeah. I think, so, so my going back, I'm asking that because I'm going back to early on at when Amazon, um, you know, this, how did they find your website thing, right? They, they were heavily reliant on Amazon because they sell like still 50% of the food online, right? Right.
1: And right. then
0: they kind of weaned themselves of them over the years, Right.
1: Yes. You know, I I have a client who had um, several, you know, this was one of my larger clients, but they had several million dollars worth of Amazon business that they have walked away from because of lots of different issues and they felt like it was misaligned with their brand uh, for a few different reasons. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that does happen. I also, you know, know of and work with brands who it's still a really important piece of their um, of their of their sales channel mix, and so um, I, you know, it's. I see both sides of it. I I think that you've got to know what you're doing. I don't think that you can just put your products up there and think that you are going to, um, you know, suddenly make money. Similar to what you said about just setting up your own website and thinking that suddenly people will come. I think it takes effort in terms of. I just did a couple of podcast episodes with an expert on this related to SEO and advertising on Amazon. So, knowing the skills to get found and then convert um, seems like a really important piece in order to make it, you know, a viable part of your portfolio and really understanding their rules so that you are playing their game,
0: <laughs> you know? It, right. You didn't even, even know there was a game, right? And <laughs> yeah, then there's right. like, don't want wow, there game, are but... <laughs> rules
1: to this game, right?
0: Like, <laughs> yeah, whoa, it actually is a lot to be successful on Amazon.
1: Yeah, you know, it is. So I think I definitely think that it is, you know, there's so much upside for people. Absolutely. I just think that there's watch outs where you need to know what you're doing. And then if at some point it doesn't feel like it's aligned, having that honest and tough conversation to say, is this something that we should continue doing or is it causing more problems um, than it's worth? And we should be putting that effort into a different distribution strategy or channel strategy
0: yeah and it is interesting that we're in a time when people when brands are starting to feel like they're that that amazon is becoming a juggernaut right
1: yeah yeah i mean it's i i have to admit like it's hard when you know, one of my kids needs a book that I couldn't find in store, and I—it's the easiest thing to do is just to go on my Smile dot Amazon and um, have it shipped to our house the next day. You know, it's—it's it's hard to not want to do that as as a consumer, but um, I th- yeah, I think there's good in, in watch watchouts with it because it really, it really uh, has the possibility to, I guess, impact businesses. I mean, this is an obvious thing, I guess, but for better or worse, it's, it's, there's a lot of watchouts, I guess, back to what we were saying.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, it's just, but, and I have people tell, who have no, you know, they just put their website up for the first time and they're trying to sell stuff online and they're frustrated mm-hmm. because their sales are like a hundred dollars a month. And I'm like, it's really hard right now if you're not on Amazon and nobody knows you.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean that is obviously one of the great benefits is that you if you have your SEO figured out and you yeah. know, you know that people are searching that there's a much bigger pool of people searching for things on Amazon than on you know for your specific website. So, yeah, I I it is it is a tough one, but back to your point earlier, I think either way, um, you know, really thinking about growing your email list so that Even if it's 100 people on your email list, those are still 100 people that, you know, somehow opted in or have purchased from you. And if you can nurture those 100 people, I'm not saying those are the only ones you ever need. But uh, I think a lot of people have an email list and just think, oh, I've got this small email list. But if they would really, you know, treat it like it was 10 times that, um, they could get a, a lot more out of their existing list and then, you know, continue to grow it. Mm -hmm, mm
0: mm-hmm yeah right because repeat customers are yeah are gold right
1: yeah yeah nerd and and I'm not trying to talk about it like people are cogs in the business you know it's it's um the repeat like exactly what you said it's that repeat like people have said I bought from you and if they don't want to buy again then that's you know maybe there's something to learn there and if they will buy again then um they might not unless you Basically, ask or you know, like put yourself in front of them. There's lots of brands that I mean to buy regularly. I just don't think about going straight to their website. So when they email me, I think, oh yes, okay, that's right. I need to go back and do that. Uh, you just have to stay top of mind, and that doesn't mean emailing every day. But um, some people do. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I don't yeah, like and that, if it's your, if you're me, I'm like, would you please stop <laughs> emailing well, me? Right, it's a balance, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But that, that idea of staying top of mind um, and consistent, you know, that people know what to expect when they mm-hmm. when they open your emails or buy your brand or, you know, that they know that your, your Instagram posts are going to be kind of fun or interesting or, you know, that they're excited to hear from you versus being that pest that's knocking on the door all the time. <laughs> right, right. So, so
0: when you um, work with a client to take them through this whole process, how does, how long does that take sort of on average?
1: Well, it depends on the type of work that we're doing. So the work that I've been focused more on, I mean, obviously, well, I'll start with the three-day, the three-day three workshop that we're doing together, yeah. through, or you know, through FFI, you know, that's three days of intense, let's, let's work through all of these things um, and come out on the other side, having, a lot of this worked through, and again, you can continue to optimize over time, but so it can happen in pretty short order. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's a three-day option and there's sort of a a medium option where, um, I'm working with people and guiding them through the process. Um, but they are taking the lead in between our sessions. And so that's more of a coaching and that really, I usually like that to take about, Mm -hmm four to six weeks it can take less sometimes people take more but the reason why i say you know about a month is because you see other things in the world like you you get started on it and then you see you get ideas from different places and the dots start to connect and you get inspired about things and so you do a first draft and then you go back and make some edits and so there's um a series of meetings and people do the work in between and i help guide and coach and you know press on some things to help help deepen the thinking a little bit uh, to make sure it's truly differentiated. Um, and then, um, and then there's, uh, there's work sometimes that I do with people one-on-one where I'm doing the, the work in between our meetings and I'm not doing as much of that work anymore, but occasionally I do. And that's more of a six to eight week type of time Mm -hmm. Um, and then if people want to do research where they're bringing in an external partner for that too, then, you know, it it goes up from there, but, um, it's one of those things where it can seem like a long time, but in the scheme of your entire business, um, you know, from three days to eight weeks, it's it's really um, so impactful. And the rest of the business doesn't have to stop while you're doing it. So whether someone does it with me or someone else, I just, I really believe that it can, or I know that it can make such a difference in um in how you show up as a business, but then also even how efficient it is to get there because you aren't spinning your wheels trying to think about, okay, what should we say here? And what should we say here?
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing because, um, yeah, no, because entrepreneurs are scattered, right? And by by nature, we're doing 4 million things at the same time Absolutely. because
1: <laughs> at we different are, yeah, levels us included, and,
0: right? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and so the, because of that, it's really hard to get focused and effective and and if you uh, if you have done this work, it's such a great investment right And in making you more efficient and effective moving forward.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I try to keep it really approachable, both in the scope and pricing so that, um, you know, because I do, even though I loved my time in the corporate world, it just, my heart is with smaller, more entrepreneurial brands. And I really, the reason I work in food with real food or natural food companies um, is because I really believe in getting access to good food to more people. So, um, you know, my heart is in it. The same reason that a lot of people start food companies, I just yeah. do it a little bit differently. So...
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, hey, it's been great to talk today.
1: Yes, thank you so much. It really has been fun. I love talking with you.
0: Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.